You know, I want to speak today on a topic that I think we all can associate with because we all need to live in a sense of it. If we don't, we have no hope in life. I want to speak on expectations today, living a life with expectations. Expectations is a big word. It's a big word that can have a lot of connotations to it. Um, when we think of expectations, we think often of what people expect out of me or what I expect out of them. But we're not going to that direction of expectations today. We're going down the Heinz 57 sense of expectation, and that is the area of anticipation. Heinz ketchup. Anticipation. Anticipation is making me wait. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> I wasn't uh, planning on singing, otherwise I would have rehearsed my voice <clears throat> a little bit better. I would have stretched my vocal cords. I would have had Jackie sing it. <laughs> but living with expectations gives us a fullness in our life. It gives us a reason to live. Expectations is hope, and living a life without expectations is hopeless, and we have to have it. Living a life of expectation is a life of faith. It's a life of anticipation of all the blessings that God has in store for us, for those that love him and serve him. Every time I pray, and even as of this morning, every time we pray, we have to have a sense of expectation that God is going to answer the prayer in the way that we've prayed it. Otherwise, why pray? If there's no expectation that God is going to answer the prayer, then don't waste your or his time. We have to have a sense of expectation, a sense of anticipation, a sense of knowing that God is going to do what he said he said he would do in his word, and that is he's going to answer the prayer. So a life of expectation. Living a life of expectations provides us a sense of anticipation that life is worth living even in the hard times. Even in the difficult times, even in the times of stresses, the times of difficulties, the times of problems, and even in the monotony of life. Because sometimes life can just be hard. You know, we recognized that last Sunday night, Steve Puffpath was here, a missionary to uh, Jamaica. Now, when we think of Jamaica, we think of beaches. We think of nice white sand, clear blue water, snorkeling laying at the beach, under the cabana, having a, um, a nice uh, smoothie, and just kind of hanging out. But that's not the Jamaica that Steve Puffpath knows, because there's an inner working in Jamaica that is not what we know. He, he ministers to homeless children, and he said there was a lot of them. I don't remember all the numbers. But the thing that here, the thing that I caught out of what he said last Sunday night was this. They have no hope. They have no expectations. Little girls come into his orphanage or into his home of refuge, and they have been uh, abused at very young ages, um, physically, mentally, sexually, just 
abused. They have no sense of family. They have no expectation of ever dating, of ever um, getting engaged, of ever being married, of ever having a family. They don't know what that's like because they've never seen it. Therefore, they have no expectation of that. Therefore, they will have no change in a positive fashion in that, in that island until something changes in their life to give them an expectation of what it's like to be a mother and have a father and raise a family. So what Steve's mission is is to give them that sense of hope and that sense of expectation. That just shows us that we as people, if we're going to be a civilized society, we need to have an expectation of life. And we need to have a proper expectation of what a godly life is so that then we can then live in that. Again, a life without expectation is a life without hope. And a life without hope is death. It's just, it's just the way it goes. Are you encouraged yet? Have I encouraged anybody? <laughs> We're going to get there. Living a life with expectations will ultimately prevent living with regret later on. A living a life of expectations will ultimately prevent living with regret, regret later on. Regret in this life and ultimately a regret in eternity. Because if I don't have that expectation set in my life proper, if I don't live my life expecting God to work in my life, I'm not going to do anything. And when I get depressed... And when I get hopeless, I don't work. Has anybody been through depression to a degree? I think we all have to some degree. Some have more clinically than others. But the, uh, the clinically depressed person, they don't work. They can't. They're physically and mentally disabled. Depression is a sense of hopelessness at, at its extreme level. And without an expectation of that we're going to live a vibrant life and a, and a productive life, we can very easily get into a life of doing nothing. And if I do nothing very long, eventually I will live a life of regret because I didn't do anything. Now take that 100 years out from now, and when you're in your place of eternity, wherever that is, heaven or hell, wherever that is, if, you, if you've lived a life of no expectation here, you will have regret. For eternity. Now, do you want that? No, we don't want that. We don't want to live a life of regret. So let's get our expectations set properly so that we don't have to worry about living a life of regret. Now let me ask you a question that is a hard question with expectations. Let me ask you this. I want you to think about it. Do you have to understand and know where you are going if you are to live with expectations? Do you have to understand and to know where you're going if you are to live a life with expectations? How do you feel about that? What do you think? Do you have to know where you're going? Okay. I hear some yeses. But what happens if you don't know where you're going? What happens if you're in a point of transition where you're confused? The Bible gives us some hope in that time. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it talks about faith. 
says faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The righteous man lives by faith. The unrighteous man lives by what he sees. Expectations are above what I see. Expectations go beyond what I know. Because if I live by what I know, if I live by what I see, how can I be excited about what the future holds if it's not good? If I don't have a job, if I'm sick, if I have cancer, or if my kids have cancer, if I have nothing in my life that seems to be going well, how in the world can I have expectations unless I live by faith? Faith is being sure of what we do not know and of what we do not see. It's in faith in God. It goes on in chapter six, or, uh, verse 6 of chapter 11. And it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Hard times bring us to our knees. Hard times bring us to an sense of expectation that God is going to meet my need. And I have that through faith. I have it through faith. So knowing where I'm at and where I'm going isn't necessarily a requirement for living a life of expectations. I can live, I can live a life of expectations in my point of confusion. Thank God I can. And you can too. Thank goodness that I don't have to have it all together. Thank goodness that I don't have to be Mr. GQ and I've got to have all my life in order before I can expect good things from God. See, Jesus didn't come for those that had it all together. He came for the sick. He came for the depressed. He came for those that, the, 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 heart, or the, the ones that didn't have any hope. That's who he came for. And then he gave them hope in who he is, not in who they were. He gives me hope, not in who I am, but what he has for me and for what he wants to make me be. So life of living of expectations is not limited to only when I'm happy and joyful, there's no stress. In fact, the Bible is very clear that we don't base our success as a Christian on our level of happiness. In other words, the more spiritual I am, the more happy I'm going to be. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. That's not a measurement of our spiritual barometer of success is how happy I am. And at the same time, the more problems I have, doesn't make me more worldly. It doesn't make me less spiritual when I have problems. Think about Paul. Paul was shipwrecked many times. He was thrown in prison. He did a lot of things that happened to Paul that were bad things. In fact, some people at that point in time actually questioned his Christianity because of the bad things that happened to him. But yet Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Paul was a great servant of God and of Jesus, and he was a great proponent of salvation and grace and mercy. But it wasn't because he didn't have stress and problems. It was because he knew how to deal with them. He knew it was because he went to the right source. And that's the same thing that we have. Jesus was also this way. You know, um, I'm going to say a few more things to encourage you. <laughs> There's n nobody in this room right now knows if you've been to the lowest point of your life yet or not. Nobody here can say, I've been to the lowest part and I'm on, my, I'm on my way up. We've all had lows and we've all had ups, but nobody knows if tomorrow may be your lowest low. I don't mean to discourage you. 
I don't mean to come in and, and preach bad news. I'm just stating the facts. That's, that a phone call away you could be something that could take you, that could wipe you out. And if you're basing your level of Christianity and how you feel, then you will be primed for the enemy to come in and wipe you out because he'll say, because you don't feel good, you're gone. So what I'm saying here is to prepare you for what might come. And I'm not saying it to say that it's going to happen. I don't believe in that. That's not a jinx. I didn't jinx anybody here because I said that. And I didn't jinx myself. All I'm saying is that be prepared be prepared for what might come, and we don't know what that is. It may be your lowest low. But let me give you some encouragement here. Jesus had his lowest low in the Garden of Gethsemane. And let's talk about that just for a second. He was proof that in his lowest moments, he always turned to God, his Father. And he depended on him to get him through the lowest lows. Jesus had great stress. He even, dropped, he even sweated drops of blood. He even had so much stress that it broke the tiny blood vessels in his veins or in his skin and it actually sweat blood. That's a lot of stress. But in that stress, he didn't sin. There was no sin in his life because he had stress, because he had problems. And it isn't a sin in my life when I have stress and problems. So don't let the enemy take you there. Don't let him go down that path with you and say, because you're struggling, you're not much of a Christian, are you? That's nonsense. That's a lie from the devil. Don't stand for that. Stand against that and don't let it come into your life. Let's read Luke chapter 22, verses 41 through 44. It says, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. This is Jesus. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now let's look at this prayer. Let's look at the progression of this prayer for a minute. He says, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Jesus didn't want to die on the cross. That wasn't something he was looking forward to. Would you look forward to being beaten, thrown on the cross, and killed that way? No, that's just, that's just common sense. Jesus did not want to die that way in his flesh. He did not want to go through that agony, that pain. But yet he said, not my will, Father, but yours. So here he said it, okay? He's, he surrendered himself to God's will. And after he said this, one would expect that God would lighten up a little bit. And say, okay, Jesus, now that I know your heart, this is what we think sometimes. God, now that you know my heart, lighten up on me a little bit. Now that I've surrendered my problems to you, lighten up on me a little bit, because now you know my heart. But that's not what happened. If you go to verse 43, it says, And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. God did not take away the problem. What he did is he strengthened Jesus to get through the problem. He didn't lift him out of it. He didn't say, okay, uh, I'm going to change my plan of salvation here. Because I don't want to see you, my son, go through that much pain and agony. We're going to change the rules. No. He let him go through it, but he strengthened him to go through it. And what did Jesus do? Go back and read, let's read 44, verse 44. And, in be, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly 
See, Jesus already prayed once. He already prayed, Father, take this cup from me. And when God says, no, I can't, he strengthened him with his angels, and Jesus went back and prayed again. How many times do we pray about a problem? Once, and then say, well, God didn't answer me, so I'm going to let it go. God didn't answer me, so I'm going to forget about it. No, Jesus prayed three times. Three times in this garden scene he prayed. And he went back and he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. See, it got worse for him. The more he surrendered, the worse it got. But yet he had, but he had the joy, though, of the expectation of what was to come. Now, this isn't an Easter message, so I want to move off that topic for a minute. What I wanted to get out of that was that in the times of Jesus' hardest time, in his lowest moments, he never lost his sense of expectation. Therefore, I shouldn't either. And neither should you. Always understand that there's more that he has for us. He didn't base his spirituality on how he felt. Jesus felt pretty bad. But he didn't say, woe is me, I'm a sinner. He didn't give in to the enemy's claim that he was unspiritual anymore because he felt bad. He felt pretty bad. But yet he never lost his spirituality. Same thing for me. When I feel bad, when I'm low, I don't let the devil come in and say, you've lost it, Mike. Boy, you've lost it this time. You've really failed. No. No, not at all. I don't need to go down that path, and you shouldn't either. Don't let the devil eat you up like that. Just live in who you are as a Christian man or woman, and don't let your feelings come in and get in the middle of your spiritual emotions. Understand who you are. You are a son of God. You are a born-in son of God, and you are engrafted into the family of God. You are a joint heir with Christ, and nothing can take you out of that. Nothing can happen to you in this world that can take you out of that. So understand that. And the third thing that he didn't do of this, he didn't find his own way out of the problem. He didn't, wait, he didn't look for an escape route. When he finally realized that God was going to make him go through it, when he finally realized that it was God's will for him to die this, this death, he didn't look out for a way to get out of it. He walked through it. Purposely, intentionally, willfully, I would have, even have to say joyfully. Because joy is not a part of our happenstance. Joy is not happiness. Joy is doing the will of the Father. So he joyfully went to the cross on my behalf and on your behalf because he was doing the will of the Father. Joyfully. Joyfully, I can live my life here when I am doing the will of the Father, when I'm really trying to hear God's voice, when I'm really trying to hear what He has for me to do, even in my moments of confusion and struggle. I may not be happy about it. I may not like some things about it. I may not like a lot about it. But it's not about what I like. It's about doing the will of the Father. And it's about having His joy knowing that I'm fulfilling the purpose that he has for my life. That's what Jesus taught us in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's a perfect role model for us. See, the enemy would come to us, and he will lie through his teeth. 
or his fangs. <laughs> Whatever the devil's got, he'll lie through them. He may not have any teeth. He may have gums. Because that's really all he can do. He can't bite. He can just gum you to death. Okay? We think he's got big, sharp fangs and he's going to hurt me. He can only hurt me when I allow him to. But he's really got no teeth. He doesn't have any teeth. He got no teeth. Now, didn't that sound good? I sound like I don't got no teeth. He doesn't have any teeth. He's a gumming devil. But he lies through his gums. And he would come to us and he would say all kinds of, of lies to us. And he would say, you're not, you're not going to make it. You're just not going to get through this thing because you're not strong enough. And you know what? To some degree, he's right. I am not strong enough. I am not strong enough to get through my life by myself. When I am at my utter weakness, when I am at my lowest moments, and when I recognize that Jesus is who I have to depend on is when I am strongest. Amen? When I recognize that I cannot do it on my own, and when I put my faith in God and God alone, and I stop looking for the escape routes, and I stop looking for the easy way out, and I stop looking for what makes sense to me, and I start looking for His will, then I'm continually filled with the knowledge of His will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And when I can make that my prayer, so that He will strengthen me with power according to His glorious might, with all patience and endurance, with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who qualifies me to share in the inheritance of, his, of the spirits of light, that is when I am at my strongest. But the devil will come back to us and he'll tell us all kinds of lies. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 25-29, through 29, it says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you who were wise according to worldly standards, not many were, more, were powerful, not many were of no, noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. There is no kings here. There are no princes here or princesses here. There is no royalty in this room today. We may not even be wise in the world standards. There's no rocket scientists here today, are there? Well, John, he's pretty close. He'd be the, he, he would be the closest one to being a physicist. But yet, even in all the intelligence of mankind, it's foolishness in the eyes of God. There's nothing we can do to measure up to that. So here, if God calls you to do something, He doesn't call you in your ability. He calls you in your willingness. He calls you in your calling. I am not qualified to be the pastor of this church in my ability. But if God calls me to be the pastor of this church, then he will make me qualified. It's not my ability to do anything. If he calls me to be the president of Pine River, 
and we become successful, it's not in my ability, it's in his calling that has qualified me to be. And the same thing with you. It's not your ability that God is wanting. He's not after your skills. Even though girls like boys with skills. What movie was that? Napoleon Dynamite. Anybody see that movie? Don't waste your time. But it is a funny movie if you can handle just pure nonsense. Because that's all it is. There is no rhyme to that. But in that, Napoleon says, girls like guys with skills. <laughs> that was, that's the best line of the whole movie. But God doesn't care about your skills. What God cares about is your willingness to be used. And then he will call you according to the giftings that he gives you. And then you're qualified. Then you can live a life of expectation because you're living in his will. You are constantly looking for the knowledge of his will in your life. And when you live that way, you're qualified. No matter what it is, you're qualified. And don't let the enemy... See, I'm harping on the enemy today. Do you know why? Because he harps on me and you all the time. And it's time to put it back in his face. I'm not glorifying him when I say this. I am not overly glorifying the devil when I talk about him. I'm telling him who he is, and he's nothing. He's a gumless devil, and he's nothing. But, he's, he, but he flexes his muscles at us all the time. And it's time that we strut back at him and say, Get out of my face, gumless devil. Understand who you are, and understand who I am, and I'm a child of God, and I take dominion over you, and I don't listen to you anymore. And then I live a life of expectation, knowing that God is going to come through, in my, in my point, right where I need him to come, when it's the right time. When it's the right time. Boy, there's a whole other sermon there. Life basically is made up of a series of events. Good, bad, all mixed up, a big mixing bowl of life. It comes at us from all different directions. Sometimes it's really good. Sometimes it's just you know, not a care in the world. We're just on top of the world and we're enjoying life. And that is a great place to be. And then sometimes life can throw a, uh, a curveball at us. And all of a sudden we can be in a tough time. It comes. It's going to come that way. And all through this time of either, either ultimate success or lowest lows, it's very important, very important that we keep a proper sense of expectation or we're going to lose our focus. If it's really, really good and we lose our expectation of what God wants for us to do, then we have a temptation to spend in opulence what we have and waste it and just buy stuff, thinking that stuff now is going to give our happiness, giving that vacations are going to give us our fulfillment in life. And when we have the, that, that sense of, of, boy, I'm on top of the world, nothing can stop me, we can go off the deep end that way. Or on the other end, when I don't have anything, I can go off the deep end in depression, thinking that I'm never going to do anything. And I'm going to have a lost cause. I'm a lost hope. I have nothing. We need to get on a balance of life. We need to have the proper expectation of what, God, what, of what it is that God is intending for our lives and for what he wants to accomplish in our life. And when I have that proper expectation, then I can live in it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 10, talks about Paul. And you know Paul had this thorn in the flesh, which we've talked about many times. But he says a very wise thing in chapter 
12, verses 10 of 2 Corinthians, it says, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, when we realize that our weakness and our difficulties and our hardships make us strong, we're starting to get the, we're starting to get the picture that God's expectations are different than mine. Now, let me, let me help you a little bit here. If you're having a hard time with this, if you're having a hard time with expectations, let me ask you this one question that I think will help you. How far out are you looking in your life? How far out are you looking for the expectations to be fulfilled in your life? Would you throw up that picture of that puzzle, please? Life is a puzzle. Life is a puzzle. It's made up of a lot of different pieces. And there's three things you need to remember when we do a puzzle. First of all, never get rid of the box top. Because if you lose the picture, you have no idea what the puzzle is supposed to look like. So never lose the box top of a puzzle. Or else just throw the puzzle away. Because you'll be frustrated beyond belief trying to put it together without the picture. Okay, that's number one. Don't lose the box top. The second thing is about a puzzle is that if you are in the process of putting a puzzle together and you have a piece that almost fits, how many here have tried to force it? How many times do you try to force it in thinking this has got to go? It's got to be the piece. Even though you know it's not, you try to force it. Well, that might work for the moment because you might think you got it. But if you leave that forced piece in that puzzle, you ruin the whole puzzle because it's never going to come together again. You're never going to, it's never going to be right when you put the wrong piece in the wrong spot. That puzzle was made for that one specific piece to go in that one specific spot. And if you force it in, you've ruined the puzzle. Number three, sometimes you just have to walk away from a puzzle. Sometimes you just need to get up and say, I'm, I'm tired. I, I just can't, get, I can't handle this anymore. Walk away from it, leave it for a few minutes, and take a bigger picture step back and look at it from a step back a little bit. And look at the whole thing and see the big picture of the puzzle. See, that's where God's at. God is the master puzzler. There's not a puzzle that God can't put together, including your life including my life, because he has the ability. First of all, he never forces it. He never loses the box top. And he, and, and he always has the ability to step back about a million miles and look at the big picture of things and see the whole thing, how it's supposed to come together. And when, he, when we look at life that way, that we, that we keep our bearing, by never losing the box top is read the Bible. That's your direction. Pray. That's your wisdom. That's your direction. That's your knowledge like we talked about in Sunday school today. What, is the, what does the Bible give you? Knowledge. What does that give you? It gives you peace. It gives you hope. It gives you direction. It's the box top of life. He never forces it. He never puts you in a spot that you can't handle. You might think you can't handle it, but if it's his calling on your life, you'll always handle it. If it's your calling, you'll struggle. If it's you putting yourself in a position that's like you forcing your piece of the puzzle, you'll struggle there. So stop. 
So stop. Don't put yourself in a position that you're frustrating yourself. If it's not your calling, then pray that the, pray that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, will reveal your calling to you. Pray that he'll reveal his will for your life so that you will fulfill the calling of your life in fullness of joy you'll have it and not in frustration of forcing the wrong piece in the wrong part of the puzzle. And then he has always the ability to step back and look at the big picture. Our job as we put together our life of puzzle, or our puzzle in life, is to learn to trust God that he has everything under control and to rest in his provision for us. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23. And I'm reading this in the New Living Translation, which I don't think we have. But I really want to read this translation because it brings it out in some nice ways. So let me just read it to you. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23. It says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will, will reveal who his children are. I want to stop here for a second. For all creation is waiting eagerly. In the NIV, it says it is, is waiting in expectation to the glory he will reveal to us later. We're to live in expectation. All of creation is living in expectation of the final day when Jesus comes back and this world is over. That's what everything is created for, is for that moment of time. Let's go on and read and continue reading. It says, against, verse 20, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised for us. Wow. When you read through that, doesn't that just give you a sense of expectation? Doesn't that give you a sense of anticipation, of hope, that what's happening around us isn't going to last? And that what we don't see that faith eyes that we have to see with and that faith muscle we need to exercise, when we, the righteous, live by faith, that it's giving an expectation and a hope of future glory. It makes all of the struggles we have in this life worth it. It's a great hope. It's a great hope. In conclusion, I want to ask you, how far out are you looking? How far out are you looking? This question, if you answer it honestly, this question will make, the, will make the difference for your life. This is the question that will make or break you. Because if you're looking at tomorrow and basing your Christian faith on God making your tomorrow better than today, then you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Let me just tell you that right now. Not that God won't make your day tomorrow better, but if that's what you're basing your Christian life on, that tomorrow when I wake up my problems are going to be gone, well, you're setting yourself up for disappointment and you're setting yourself up for a, for a demonic attack. 
because the problems are still going to be there. More than likely, not barring a miracle, and I know the God is the God of miracles, but more than likely, your problems are still going to be there tomorrow. So how far out are you setting your expectations? If you're, if you're sounding your expectations far enough out in the future, knowing that you're giving God the ability to work in your life, that's the proper sense of expectations. So it's very important that we understand that expectation setting, that we don't put ourselves into a position that potentially could be frustrating for us. Don't force that puzzle. Don't force that peace. And you might say, well, Mike, you're talking like this because you're trying to justify your own failures. Well, I'm going to fail. Yeah, I am. But I'm not justifying my failures when I talk that way. All I'm saying is I know that God is bigger than me. And I know that he has control of my life and control of my failures and control of my successes. And my expectations that I'm setting for my life are not based on my successes or not based on my failures. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being, being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. How far out are you setting your expectations? On the temporary and what you see? are in what you don't see. You know, when Jesus was with his disciples and he had his last supper, where do you think his expectations were? Do you think Jesus was focusing on the next few hours? Or do you think he was setting himself up for the glory that was going to be revealed through the inheritance that he was going to get, which is our souls today? I think Jesus was looking at you and I today. Now, I say that. Maybe that doesn't make any sense. But understand that his sense of expectation was much more than what he saw. His sense of expectation was for eternity. And in that eternity, he saw me and he saw you. And he saw my problems today, and he saw my successes today, and he saw my failures today. And he said, you know what? I am going to die for them. And when he did that, his expectations were not on the pain that he was going to experience in the next few hours. How far out are your expectations? Are you willing to surrender your tomorrow for eternity? Are you willing to surrender your successes for eternity are you willing to give up your failures for eternity Just as